The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. The last chapter, so uh, eventually the sermons will come to an end in Mark as well. We invite your attention to Mark chapter 13 and a verse-by-verse study of the book of Mark. That's page 849 in the Pew Blue Pew Bible, if you did not bring one. The big numbers uh, are the chapter numbers, chapter 13. The small numbers are the verse numbers, verse 1. Well, the, t- the title of today's message is The Beginning of the End, and it reminds me of a story I once heard about an agnostic farmer who wrote the editor of a local newspaper. And the local newspaper editor happened to be a faithful Christian. And he said, the agnostic farmer said, In defiance of your God, editor, I've plowed my fields this year on a Sunday. I fertilized them on a Sunday. I planted them on a Sunday. I cultivated them on a Sunday. And I even reaped them and harvested them, editor, on a Sunday. This October, editor, I had the biggest crop I've ever had. How do you explain that? Signed, agnostic farmer. Well, in the next week's paper, the editor, the Christian editor, replied simply, Dear Agnostic Farmer, comma, God does not always settle his accounts in October. Some of you are still thinking about the math of that one, but yes. Guys, God knows all things, does he not? And God knows the beginning from the end. And we do not know the beginning from the end. And where this man thought he was able to account for all these things, where he was doing things that God was not stopping, we can trust the sovereign God who does settle all things and settles all accounts. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful that every wrong that's ever been committed against you, every injustice that's ever been done in society, everything that has ever gone awry will eventually be righted one day? And do you know why that is? Because our God knows the beginning from the end. In fact, the whole Bible, one-third of it, is yet to be fulfilled. And in that one-third of the Bible yet to be fulfilled, we know that God will make all things right, including those who say, where is this God? Where's the promised one? As Peter said, and he is coming, and he's coming quickly. Isaiah 46.10 reminds us very clearly of this fact. God says of himself, I make known the end from the beginning. And Andy will put this up on the screen for us uh, as we get it up there. From the beginning, from ancient times, what is still yet to come. I say, God says, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Guys, that's a good thing for us. God is not a fly-off-the-handle sovereign dictator tyrant. He is a God who is so faithful, loving, and just that someday all things will be right because he knows the beginning from the end. I mean, let's be honest. Most of us do things on the fly so much, we wish we knew the beginning from the end because we just kind of go with the flow. But that is not our Lord. He knows the end from the beginning, and he's faithfully working out his plan. Because God is who he is, history is not a random cycle. It's not a one lifetime to the next. It is a linear equation, and there is a heaven, and there is a hell, and there's a God who rules over both. One day, it's all going to make sense. It's all going to be right. It's all going to stay unbroken. And the end of God's story is so much better than the beginning, isn't it? That is where real hope comes. And we say with the last verse of Scripture, Come, Lord Jesus, come. 
That's our hope, isn't it? Even on our Memorial Day weekend when things are a little more relaxed. But both of these prayers, Lord, how long and Lord come, are future-directed people who know that God knows the beginning from the end. And so why would we allow these days that we live in to be such fearful days for us? If we know this is true, if we know this God who says these things about himself and his word, why would we be so fearful? But if we're honest, we really are sometimes, aren't we? We turn on the news, we see what's happening in the world, we see the flooding, we see the earthquakes, we see all the famines, we see all the things that Scripture talks about and we'll get in today, and we say, Lord, how much longer? Lord, I can't stay here any longer. And yet God says, we know not the day or the hour. The big idea today, if you're visiting, this is the thesis of the sermon, the, the, the thesis of the text, is that deep longings for Jesus' return should be matched or overmatched by a greater engagement with Jesus' mission to share the gospel to the ends of the world. When the world is falling down around you, Christian, you need to be reminded God knows the beginning from the end, and because you know not the day or the hour, you are to be engaged until that hour comes. And church, that is a word for us as well as we look to restructure things within our church and go forward as a church. It's almost certainly the case that we think of Christ's return too lightly. In fact, we've never been so close to the return of Christ as of this moment. Let us redeem the time. May we long daily for heaven. May we pray daily for Christ's return and live daily content in his sovereignty that no matter what happens, he's got our back. Not because we deserved it, but because Christ, the Son, is worthy. And I'm grateful there's nothing we did to secure our place in this God, but he did it all by his grace, and it's grace from the beginning to the end. But before we can hold on to that truth, Jesus is going to give us three warnings today about the future. He's going to warn us about three things that we need to be reminded of as we live in these times. Even though God is in control, some things we need to be reminded of. And I went all Baptisty preacher on you this morning. You got some alliteration coming your way. Are you ready? Hopefully you can memorize this. I hate alliteration, but it worked in the context. Two of the words were given to me. I just had to come up with one, but here it is. Jesus says, do not be amazed. Jesus said, do not go awry or do not be awry. And Jesus said, do not be alarmed. These days will come. Don't be amazed. Don't be awry. Don't go off the track and don't be alarmed. Don't shake in your boots. I got this. And he's going to warn you that it's so easy to go the opposite way in your faith with any one of these if we're not careful. The context, of course, is Tuesday of Jesus' final day. He's getting ready to launch into what we know as the Olivet Discourse. That is that he's going to talk about prophecy. He's going to talk about all the things that we want to talk about, but preachers never preach from the pulpit, right? Those end times. So, pastor, are you pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? Are you uh, post-millennial? Are you pre-millennial? Are you all-millennial? What are you? I know this. Jesus is returning. Amen? That's what I know. And so today, as we read the Scripture, I want you to know our God knows the beginning from the end, but we need to be reminded of some things as well. If you're able this morning, in honor of God's Word, would you stand with us as we read just eight short verses, Mark chapter 13. And if you got your tablet, your smartphone, your brain, your Bible, whatever you got, just track along as we read. This is the Word of God. May we hear it accordingly. Mark chapter 13, hear God's Word. And he, as he came out of the temple, this is the end of the day Tuesday. We've been in Tuesday the last several weeks of Jesus' life. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? 
There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he, that's Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew, that's the inner disciples, remember, asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign that these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many, verse 6, will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. Note that word many. We'll get there later. And when you hear the words, uh, are the wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. And verse 8, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. And these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. One thing you guys have asked me to preach on for the last four years have been the end times. Hold on to your hats, guys. We have six weeks from now until the end of June, five or six weeks, that we're going to cover these things. But one thing I will promise you, it's not my interpretation. Jesus is Lord. That's what you're going to get out of this text. He's in control. He knows the end from the beginning, beginning from the end. Let's pray together, and I pray that you are encouraged in your faith as we live out our faith in these times. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. We come before you. Father, for many of us, a day off tomorrow. For some, a, a, a very sad reminder weekend. But Father, wherever we're coming from, with whatever baggage we bring in relationships and families at work and in the deepest recesses, Lord, that as the psalmist says, only you can see the light from dark in us. Father, we thank you that you know. And Father, we thank you that you see and we thank you that you hear, just as you said in Exodus 2, about the promises of the groaning of your people in Israel. Father, we are crying out to you. We do not want this world anymore in the sense of, humanly speaking, it's, it's a wreck, it's a mess, it's a hot mess. But, Father, you've put us in this hot mess. And, Father, until you come home, we are to be faithful to the task. Give us strength to do that. But, Father, at the same time, we're to set our minds on things that are above, as Colossians says. So let it be for your glory. Give us wisdom this morning. Give us warnings Father, this morning to remind us of our faith. We pray these things today in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Guys, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, the first warning that Jesus gives us and he reminds us of about the future is we are not to be amazed. We're not to be amazed. Now, I'm like you, and, and as a kid, I, I geeked out on the Guinness Book of World Records, like the people with the longest fingernails who hadn't cut them in like 37 years you know, the biggest man, the biggest woman, you know, things that were crazy weird. How many people jumped out of an airplane at the same time and held hands and did the hokey pokey or whatever it was. Records are amazing. They're great. But Jesus tells us, especially about things that are spiritual, we are not to be amazed. And I want to unpack that for you. But at first, I want you to see back in verse 1, this first warning, that as he came out of the temple, it says, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful buildings and what wonderful stones. And all this Tuesday, Jesus, as you remember, has been teaching. He's been questioned. We called it Question Tuesday, didn't we? It was the last Tuesday of his life. And here at the very, very end, they're walking out, tired from the longest day. Jesus has asked some questions, and they're just ready to get out of Dodge. And the first thing they say, probably Peter, is look at how beautiful this is. And I want you to know the beautiful temple they're looking at is actually the third try. The first one was built by Solomon, was destroyed. The second one was rebuilt after captivity, and it was, it was destroyed enough. And then the Romans came, assaulted the city, and they built the third temple. And many of you have been there. I think of Lorna Maisel had some pictures today, and, and Patricia and others who've been to Israel. 
and the wall, the wailing wall that still stands today where the Jews pray. But the stones that were used in the temple were mighty impressive. We liked Thomas the train at our house, and they were about as big as Thomas's boxcars. 37 feet long, 12 feet high, 18 feet deep. They were huge stones, very impressive. In fact, it, the ancient temple was one of the biggest wonders of the world. And this is why people were amazed. It was beautiful. I mean, you may think a month ago, do you remember the cathedral, the, the Notre Dame Cathedral in France? Whether you're Catholic or not, you thought, wow, this great structure, what happened? Uh, it's burning, and we were all in awe of that. But the reminder here today is Jesus says, do not be in awe. You know, people were in awe. They were in awe of his miracles. They were in awe of his teachings. They were in awe of his knowledge. They were amazed at his resurrection. But John 5, Jesus reminds us, he says, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear my voice and come out, and those who've done good to the resurrection of life, and those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus, throughout his ministry, has reminded them greater things are yet to come. And yet Jesus says, did you see his response? And this may sound like sarcasm, but look what he says here. He says, he says do you see these great buildings? Now, I had a debate with a pastor friend. Is he affirming the question or is he not? But I think the context says, Jesus says, yeah, these are mighty impressive buildings. They're awesome. They're beautiful. But he tells them not one stone will be left upon another. How about being a party pooper, Jesus? We just want to amaze at the beauty. And you're here you are telling us about all this gloom and doom. Stop it. Right? But he knows much more than the natural eye can see. He sees supernaturally. He sees through the future at all things. And he tells them that divine judgment is coming. He's spoken about this already. Because when their Messiah came, they rejected him. And there's a fulfillment here that's both near and far. The words that happened in the near fulfillment was about 30 years later, 35 years later, Jerusalem fell. It was sacked by the Romans because of their rebellion. And the Jews were scattered under God's judgment until really they reformed in 1948 under the Israeli flag we know today. But let me be clear, the Israeli nation is not the necessarily the same people lineage-wise that were back this way. There's a lot of mixing of races there. But the point is, there's also a far fulfillment. Jesus is saying, not only will this temple fall, but someday everything is going to fall. Don't be amazed by that. The God who can take down a building will take down these things. And then they kind of let it sit for a bit, and it says in verse 3 that they went out to the Mount of Olives, which is opposite the temple. They exited, they went down the Kidron Valley, and they went up the opposite way to the Mount of Olives. And they made that descent. And ironically, the Mount of Olives is where Jesus is going to be praying the last night of his life in a couple days. He, it's the place where he ascends back to heaven in Acts chapter 1, and in God's great purposes in Revelation 19, it's where he's going to return with his white horse. Jesus is going to tell them, don't be amazed at this building going down. Be amazed about what I'm about to tell you. And here's what he says in verse 3. Look back at your Bible. He says, it says, Peter, James, and John asked him privately, verse 4, tell us, when will these things be? Okay, you've known someone like this. Back on May 25th, 2011, do you remember what you were doing? There was a gentleman named Harold Camping. You may recall this guy, Family Life Radio. Not the Family Life Radio. Many of you listen to a different one. But people sold their houses. They got out of Dodge. Do you remember this? He was like 80 years old, 90 years old. And he said, Jesus is going to come back on May 25th, 2011. And the Royals won a game that day, so we about all said amen. But we 
got to May 26, and Harold said, well, I must have misread the tea leaves because clearly that did not happen. And he pushed it back to October of that year to coincide closely to the Mayan calendar. You remember all this? There's a movie called 2011 you've already forgotten about, and it's there. But they ask him, Jesus, tell us the date. Tell us when it's going to happen. Guys, if you are ever around anybody who tells you the date and the time that Jesus is coming back, run as quickly as you got in that building. We don't know the day or the hour, and we don't need to know the day or the hour. We just need to be faithful to the task. Like when your boss says, go do this, you don't say, well, it's been 10 minutes. I guess I can go take my break now. No, he said, go do this. And you do that until he relieves you or she relieves you. But they ask him privately, and they say, tell us these things. And he says, what signs will accompany these things, and, and how will these things be accomplished? That's their question. They have a demanding appeal. And privately, they asked him the when and the what. But ultimately, friends, Jesus is reminding them, and he'll get into this more in verse 5, but I want to remind you, Jesus is telling you, do not be amazed at these things. What things? Well, the, the temple will be destroyed. But can I give you some more that as Christians we should not be amazed at? Can I broaden the application just a bit? If you're a Christian, you should not be amazed that sinners sin. You should not be amazed that non-Christians act like non-Christians, just like you shouldn't be amazed that a cat says meow and a dog says wolf, because that's what they do. You shouldn't be amazed, Christian, about the beauty of a church building. We should, we should and can appreciate art, but one day God isn't going to say, how good was your budget for the building? It's how much did you use your building for my glory? Christian, we should not be amazed at the numbers from events that are reported in papers and places all over. They may be God's but only God will judge the fruit of them. We should not be amazed in the modern church, especially about big budgets. Well, if our church only had more money, we could do more ministry. Or that our church is so small, we can't do anything. We should not be amazed at these things, friends. We should not be amazed at the personality and power of a pastor. The question is, what is he speaking, and is it the Word of God? We should not be amazed about the organization of the church. Yes, we are to order ourselves in a godly way, and you pray on June 2nd next Sunday that the bylaws committee will be meeting, but we don't worship the bylaws. We worship the God of the bylaws. Amen? We should not be amazed about the ability of a worship team to set the mood and set the experience so we feel the, 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 the tinglys of Jesus that come our way. We should praise God if the worship team uplifts the name of Jesus Christ. We should not be amazed at the amazing graphics and slick presentations of a church, church's media budget. These are tools to the ultimate goal to make Jesus known. And we should not be amazed about the history of a church. Dr. Tom Rayner has well said that when the preferences of church members are greater than their passion for the gospel, the church is dying. So what should we be amazed at? Andy, why don't you go ahead and just bullet those up, buddy, if you would, please. This is what Jesus tells us to be amazed at. Jesus says, first, be amazed that I know the end from the beginning, and I know the beginning from the end. Be amazed that wherever you're headed, I'm with you. Wherever you're going, I am there. Wherever you are gathered, I am with you among you. His eye is on us with great care and devotion, and as the end approaches, he is like a shepherd to the flock. Be amazed, not at these other humanly things, as good as they are in their proper place. Be amazed that Jesus is coming back for you. Isn't that amazing? We just sang about that. He's coming for you. He's coming for his elect bride. That's awesome. Because Jesus, guess what? Since I came to faith in Christ, there are days that I shouldn't even be considered in Christ. But by your grace, you've forgiven all my sin. Be amazed at that. 
be amazed at the fact he's coming very soon. Okay, Pastor, I got my Jesus Returning app and the dates and the times. Can you give me, I'm going to plug it in, I'm going to get the right date. Run away from those people. Not every blood moon, not every war is the coming of Christ. Christ will come when he wants to come, but friends, he's coming very soon. That's what we know. And that should encourage us to do God's work, God's way, for God's glory. So don't be, look, if we renovate this whole sanctuary and it's the most awesome sanctuary there ever was, we praise God for that, amen? But let's not be amazed by anyone except the one who we worship within the sanctuary, right? That's the point. Don't be amazed. That's warning number one. Warning number two, and these are right from the text. Warning number two, he tells them in verses five and six that we should not go awry. Now, I, for some of you, that sounds like something your grandma told you. It's not a word you use every day. It means don't go astray. Don't go off the path. Don't go this way or that. Stick to the straight and the narrow. And verses five and six, Jesus expands, excuse me, on this thought. He expands on this thought to not go awry. Verse five. And he says, and Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. In these verses, Jesus is going to reveal the future. This is what I love. He's going to tell them about the signs that are coming. A rare look into the events that are going to shake the earth, literally. And a time of tribulation that no one has ever experienced. And he starts there, it's, he says, and your Bible might say, verse 5, see that no one, see that anyone... And the verb here is active. What it means is that Jesus is saying, based on what he's already told them, the end is coming. This is going to happen. There's going to be people who are going to lead you astray, who want to take your family, twist the gospel just enough, and get you to send you another way. Give me your money. God will bless it. You know, do it this way. Whatever it is, they'll lead you astray. So he tells them, watch out. You notice at the verse 6, he goes on to say, I am he and they will lead many astray. Many will come in my name, and I am here, and they will lead many astray. Watch out, he says. Guys, I want you to be reminded that it is very possible for you as a Christian to bite into false teaching. It is very possible for you as a Christian to look up something, to read something, and to get under something that is not Christ-like. I've mentioned before we have a we have an organization within our within our city that stands for the, the the initial stand for the initials of a breakfast place, but it doesn't serve pancakes; it serves prayer. They bring you in, they get you to pray, but all things in that organization point the other way from Jesus Christ. Date setting, their pastor prophesies and fails, and according to what we heard from Deuteronomy 18, we should stay away from them. But people flock to them. You need to be aware. You need to be aware there is false teaching out there. But you also need to have grace for those who don't see everything the way you see things within the Christian ranks. Look, we believe as Christians, you must believe the Bible is true, that Christ resurrected from the dead. He's the only way to heaven. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. There's one God and three persons, etc., etc. Let's give some grace where the secondaries come in, but on the essentials we hold together. That's what we have. But Jesus says there are many people coming who will say to you, well, that's not really what he said, is it? Because that's really not what he meant. But see, no one leads you astray. Friends, there are people everywhere who want to come to you and say they are Christian. But as Andy will put up on the screen, beware of any sermon, beware of any spiritual discipline, beware of any discipleship course that doesn't make Jesus Christ the hero of said course or whatever it is. 
The gospel is essential and grace is triumphant. How do you know if you're being led astray? Who are they promoting? Are they promoting their ministry? And that's right, unsinfully to a point. Are they promoting themselves? Are they promoting? What are they promoting? Is it Christ or is it something else? Is it a brand? Is it a logo? Is it a PR scheme or is it Jesus Christ? I pray as our staff comes together and we talk about the worship service each week that you see that Jesus is the hero of Tower View Baptist Church. It's not, our, it's not the brothers who lead worship. It's not the brothers who lead discipleship or the preaching. It is Jesus Christ. That is what our church is about. Amen? And he tells them that they will come. How will they come? They will come in my name. Did you catch that? My name. Many will say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. Notice that double entendre going on there. Many will come. Many false teachers will come, and many will be led astray. And that word there where he says, I am he, that is literally God in Exodus 3.14 saying, I am. You remember that? In Exodus, God, Moses says to God, who should I say is sending me? And he said, I am who I am. And Jesus said it in John 8, 58, and they got words of stoning. Before Abraham was, I am. In his name, in the Gospels, Jesus, and I'll just give you the list here. I just went through and researched this word. In his name, we do mighty works, cast out demons. We receive believers into fellowship. We are sent in his name with the Holy Spirit. In his name, we will be persecuted. In Acts 9, Paul was told he must suffer for his name. We are to hold fast, admit Satan to his name. In his name, we're never blotted out by the Father's book, and we are called never to deny his name. Guys, I am grateful that God has told us his name is enough. It is enough. Isn't that awesome? This weekend, when you have lost people to war, when you've lost people you're remembering, if they held to Christ, you have the promise that his name is holding them up in eternity. But notice, this will happen. This isn't maybe happen. It's a future promise. This is going to happen. Guys, this is coming. If it isn't already, it's coming. It's here. It's for us. It's among us. But remind yourselves this morning that God, and Andy will put this up, but God has always worked through a small remnant. He desires quality, not quantity, depth, not breadth. Did you notice that? He says many will be led astray. He doesn't tell us how many. But he says many. Guys, that's why. Have you noticed in the last 30 years that church attendance has declined over and over and over? Every church has been affected. Every budget has been affected. Every type of church has been affected. What we're seeing now is lots of people going from one church to the next. We're growing through transfer growth. You trade me your second round draft pick, I'll give you my six. Uh, you give me your first number one pick, I'll give you my old retired guy who needs to leave the church anyway. You know, that sort of thing. That's what, we, that's what we're doing. We're very rarely seeing people coming to Christ. Does this mean people won't come to Christ? No, we get out there and we share the gospel, but we need to remember that many people who used to go to church have been led astray, and that is what the Scripture says will happen. Do not be surprised by that, but be remembering this, that God always has His elect people. He will always hold those who hold fast to His name, and that's great promise for you. Because the Bible, Jesus says in Matthew in the same passage that even if the elect could be led astray, it might happen. But God says that he will hold you to the day of redemption. So what does this mean for you? Don't go awry. If you notice your face starting to go like this and you don't take it as a big deal, you're no better than the, the Titanic 
who said, oh, man, that little, that little plug and that little water that's coming, we got this, no big deal. And you start to sink quickly. If you are saved in Christ, you're saved forever by the grace of Christ. But be careful, do not go awry. Many will come and say that I am he. Many will say and follow after them. So what does this mean? It means false teachers. This is the first sign that will happen. They will claim to be the Messiah. They'll claim to be a spokesperson for him. There are many who are gullible. There are many who are easily swayed. Some will talk about peace. Some will talk about finding yourself. Some will be, I took a class at William Jewell College many years ago called Jesus in the Woods. That was the actual course description by the registrar. Go be one with nature. Some will tell you that the solution for the planet is this, and animals and economy, but they'll never talk about atonement. They'll never talk about repentance. They'll never talk about Christ, God, and the Bible. These people will be in the church. They'll be out of the church. They will talk about all sorts of things, but there will be vast unbelief on steroids that will make even the, even the faithful say, wow, what just happened? But you need to know that's what God said would happen because he knows the end from the beginning. So, guys, this morning, the world, and Andy will put this up, the world is not getting better and better. Do, do, we, do you agree with that? Do you see that? The world's not getting better and better. At the end of the age, even with some revivals, that'll be a, the sign that precedes the Lord. But don't be deceived. And Andy will put this up too. Those who are greatest in the world's eyes are often far from great in the Lord's eyes. Just because someone has a platform does not mean they're sinful. Just because someone is a small church pastor doesn't mean they're better than a big church pastor. We have to discern all fruit. But one thing we know is that whatever comes our way, what are they talking about, who are they talking about, and who are they trying to represent? And that will tell you whether they are part of the Christ or they're not don't go awry. And look, you're going to be led astray, and I, I think our church is pretty clear here, but I need to remind us of this. You're going to be led astray if you love signs more than you love truth, and Andy will put that up as well. Don't love signs more than you love truth. So many people will jump from church to church to group to group, and man, I, God is over here. It's like you got your God detector out, right? Woo, 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 God's right here, and then you go over here. If that's the way God worked, then we're really in trouble, guys. Because God said, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. We don't need a Holy Spirit map. We need to be faithful to the things God told us to be faithful in, and we will not go awry. Be very, very careful. The world is not getting better. Christ is coming. Don't be deceived, and you're going to be led astray if you love signs more than you love truth. We're almost home, but Satan is not going to let up. Number three. First, he tells them, don't go awry. Secondly, he tells them, don't be amazed. And thirdly, he tells them, do not be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. Look back at verses 7 and 8. Because for some of you, you, this is alarming. And when you hear of wars, and look at your Bible with this, you need to see this. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, for the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, there will be famines, and these are the beginning of the birth pains. Friends, verses 7 and 8 is kind of the question like, all right, Jesus, what, what else is new? We've had more wars in the last 400 years and more bloodshed than we have throughout the whole time of history. But what he's describing is not just any war. He's describing an intense pattern of warfare that's coming our way. 
The consummation of the end of the age will be plagued by international warfare one against another. That's why he says in verse 7, hear of wars, rumors of wars, those far away. You know, you turn on your favorite news channel and they say, you know, a, a tank moved over here and a tank moved over there. They're about ready to go ballistic missile on each other. My wife and I, I'm not endorsing this necessarily, we watched it, it's classic. We watched the 19, wow, 1983 movie the other day. I know I was born a year before that, Don't you can joke at me later. But the 1983 movie War Games, we watched that the other day, where they, they take a phone and they put it down and they dial on a modem. Some of you, some of you youngins don't even know what a modem is. That's a whole other thing. And they, you know, this computer is going to have nuclear war between Russia and the U.S., and this whole thing goes down. And even then, my wife and I looked at each other, and we said, so what's new? Even in the 80s, we were having the same discussions. War and rumors of wars have been around for years. And that's why he tells them that as the news of Christ spreads, so will those who oppose Christ fighting each other, both locally and globally. But he tells you, don't panic. Literally, it's a command from Christ. Don't be afraid. Don't panic. And that's why he says, do not be alarmed. This is going to happen. Don't be afraid today. Don't be afraid today. Whatever dark valley you're going through in this world, whatever enemy lurks near, whatever turmoil lies within, your Lord is near and he will give you what you need in the time to faithfully live out for him, even if it costs us our life. Don't be frightened. Don't be afraid. It reminds us that the Lord is totally in control. When this planet is under judgment, it's like God's put up the big force field around his people. Not that we won't be harmed physically, but eternally nothing can touch our soul. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. And the point is, there are no reliable indicators about the end. Look, I remember uh, some 20 years ago in Clear Lake, Iowa, picking up a book at a thrift store. I'd just come to Christ. Uh, I just rededicated my life to Christ, whatever you want to call it. And I remember picking up a book, and it said that Russia, China, the United States, and Norway, of all places, were going to be the countries that God used to bring the end, written in 1965. Still on my shelf if you want to read it. Guys, the countries will come and go. But one thing is sure, Christ is returning. These are just symbols. We're not putting names to these things. They're just symbols that God has given us. This is from Jesus' lips. This must and will happen. But then he says, the end is not yet. Did you notice that? Look back at verse 7. He tells you, these things are coming, but the end is not yet. This must take place. But before you think every war, Jesus is coming back at, the end is not yet. And then in verse 8, he says, for. He says, for that transition, that important for. What's the for there for? It's the reason why the end is not yet. He gives us four quick reasons why this is not, and I'll go quickly through these. He says, number one, he says, not only will this happen, but verse 8, nation will rise against nation. So they will fight each other even more. But then he takes it even bigger. So you might say this colony of this place fights this colony of this place, but then the big guns come in. Kingdom against kingdom, the big representatives come. The whole of the nation, and it increases in frequency and scope. And then number three, he says there will be earthquakes. Earthquakes. Now, uh, it doesn't say tornadoes, but in the last few days, you'd think Jesus was coming on the heels of all this rain and stuff, right? You pray for those victims. You pray for disaster relief heading out in the days coming. But he says, nation against nation, there will be earthquakes in various places. Look, guys, there are earthquakes all the time. What he's saying is, is that these, these are going to come. There were earthquakes at Jesus' death that split the temple. There were earthquakes at his resurrection. There were earthquakes when Paul and Silas were released from prison. 
There are four earthquakes in Revelation, of one of which will be the end of so a third of the earth. What he's saying is these are just signs to come. Don't say because the Richter scale hit 9.7 out of 10 in California, that must be Jesus is near. Could it be? Yes. Are you supposed to play the pin the tail on the Antichrist, pin the tail on the signs of the donkey? No, you're not. Stay faithful. That's your call. But he says in only earthquakes, he says famines. And famines are all in the Bible, aren't they? They were at Abraham's day, Elijah's day, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, they were in Acts but our promise is this, no matter what non-physical food we have, Romans 8.35 tells us that who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, or nakedness or danger or sword? And the answer is not at all the above. Stay faithful. And this is but the birth pains, the beginning of the birth pains. So I want you to catch all that. When you read that list, you think of the apocalypse movies coming out this summer or what you watched in the past. But Jesus said, hang on, this is just the beginning. Andy, if you want to go ahead and put this up, guys, no matter how crazy it gets, God's got this. No matter how crazy it gets, God has this. Do you believe that? I poked a lot at the signs and things, and friends, I just want to remind you today, if you are more focused on the signs of Jesus coming than on the Jesus of the owner of the sign, so to speak, then our hearts need to be flipped the other way. We do not worship signs. We worship the God of the signs. The signs are just a pointing back to Him. Don't go awry. Don't be amazed. Don't be alarmed, no matter how crazy it gets. Andy, I think I'm going to go to the last slide. I've got a couple minutes. I'm going to send this out over email, but I, and I'm not, we're going to go through these quickly. If you're taking notes, and, and just a reminder, on our website, Tower View KC, each of the sermons has notes posted. Sometimes I say we'll email it out. I, I'm thinking two steps ahead, but uh, this is what it is. I want to remind you some things as we close about the end times. Because as we go forward as a church in these next six weeks, it's going to be so easy to say, well, Pastor, what about this? What about that? And they're very legitimate questions. Let's talk about them. But number one, I want you to keep a clear perspective on eternity and don't be shook on what is going around you. Endure. Endure it. Christ is with you. He's there. Look, we need to have studies about the end times because how you view the end times affects how you live in the now time, doesn't it? It really does. But we need to not be alarmed because he knows the end from the beginning. Number two, and I printed these weird in my notes, forgive me as they come in, but focus on the gospel of the kingdom and its proclamation to the nations. You need to focus on that. Guys, our, our time here is not to be about, uh, brother in our congregation, we had a, a, a person at a church we, uh, we, we worked at before where the man was serving as a youth pastor in a local church of our area. Within our, with us, what we might consider to be a sister church, and the pastor who's no longer there, it's been years ago, started date setting. Started saying, started whispering among his staff, Jesus told me when he's coming back. Jesus told me when he's coming back. And this man rightly got out of Dodge. Cost him a job that they had moved half the country away for. Cost him a lot of stuff. But when that pastor started saying, you know what, I know when Jesus is coming back, he did the right thing. He resigned his position and left eventually came part of our church and is still there today, our former church and is still there today. Be careful. Focus on the proclamation of the gospel. 
guys, it's okay if you want to have that debate. Are we really going to left be left behind? Are our clothes going to fall to the ground? Are, is Nicolas Cage going to start a left behind number three? You know, whatever it is. Or is it, or is it uh, um, the guy from Growing Pains? Whatever, Kirk Cameron, yeah. You can solve that debate when you get home. But don't be afraid to focus on the gospel. Isn't that what we're about here at this church? We have a lot of diversity at this church. In ethnicity and racial makeup and in economics. But the one thing we center on is Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That's our power. Number three, and I'll go through quickly. Number three. Andy, you can just put three and four up. When Jesus will come, the whole world will know. You don't need prophecy books, guys. To the wind with prophecy books. Stick to the book. Stick to this and you're going to be okay. Is it okay to study the end times? Yes. Please don't misunderstand me. But don't major in where Jesus never said to major and don't minor where Jesus said to major. Does that make sense? And every generation will face a sort of tribulation in their life that is their own apocalypse. Every generation is going to face something that is so crazy that it just blows your mind. Physically, economically, spiritually, all the above, because that's what Jesus promised is coming. I'm going to go ahead to the next ones. Again, we'll get these out of email for sake of time. I have the notes if you need them, but we'll get them out to you. They're on the website. Andy, just go ahead and put up 5 through 8, if you will, please. Talked about this, but don't become obsessed with the time Jesus comes back. Be ready at all times. That's what you need to know. Be ready at all times. Be ready. Just be ready. Are you ready for Christ to return? Are you living for Christ now like He's coming back tomorrow? And use your gifts to multiply. What, what has God called you to, church? What has He given you spirit, supernaturally? Use those for His glory and the advancement of His kingdom. And lastly, be prepared to stand before God at the final judgment. That is coming. You know, it's so easy. People today, they just, the, you talk about a final judgment and they're just, they laugh at you. Just like they laugh when they get that ticket in the mail. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to court to pay that fine. That's blah, blah, you know, whatever. Guys, there is coming a day Jesus will return. We will all stand before the judgment. Christian, let me just give this to you. You don't stand condemned. You stand forgiven. Amen? He who once knew no sin became sin for you that you may have and become the righteousness of Christ, righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.20, loosely quoted. But if you're not a Christian and you're within the sound of my voice, recorded or in person, may I implore you, may I urge you to turn and believe and repent and throw your sin on the, the grace and the shoulders of Christ. He can hold you up. He is enough. He is our Savior. He's the only one on Judgment Day that will be there. A pastor won't hold you up. A priest, a church, a certificate from baptism won't hold you up. A certificate of membership won't hold you up. Saying that you went to church and you served for years, and I told a brother about this before, my, my, my home church, they got a letter the other week because they removed a member because they had not been there in 35 years. Got a scathing letter from someone who said, how dare you remove my name from that list? I gave money to this church. I serve this church every week. I invented this program, that program, this, that, and the other. How dare you remove my name from that list? God will judge you eternally. And I'm quoting. The only thing God will judge eternally is whether you know His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you're more worried about your status at a church and thank you for your service and your money, that's great. But if you're more concerned about those things, there's greater things going on in your heart. Friend, the only one who holds you on judgment day is the risen Jesus Christ. And what a gracious God He is, isn't He? 
For he so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal and everlasting life. Let's pray together as we close. Father, as we come before you this morning, these verses before us are, uh, Lord, 